Good morning. Um, I usually don't start a message like this, but I will this morning. (laughs) Um, I just haven't woken up too well today, so I ask that you bear with me. I ask that uh, you might even pray for me, and if you sit towards the front row somewhere, uh, if I run to you, offer me your hat or your handbag, uh, in case I have a little... uh, Yeah, anyway, let's crack on. (laughs) Let's pray. Father... We thank you that um, you've given us life, and no matter whether we're sick or whether we're um, fighting fit, Lord, that uh, we just thank you that we can be here under the instruction of your word. We thank you that um, you've sent Christ uh, and and your spirit so that we can have our eyes open to your message. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning as we consider who you are and, and what you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. There is only one true living God. He's a powerful God, a personal God, a God who chooses to love, a God who enters into his own creation, a God who comes down to save his people from themselves and sin and death, eternal death. To be in relationship with this God is to have life and have it to the full. But it must be lived out on his terms because he's God and we are not. He's the creator and we're the created. He's not affected by sin like we are, so he knows what's best for us. And like a loving father to a child, he gives us clear instructions for life, for our good. The commandments are words of life because they come from life itself, the giver of life. And so what is the best thing for us? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might all the days of our lives. That we give ourselves fully to the one who redeemed us from slavery, slavery to Satan, to sin and to death. And brought us into relationship with himself. See, the commandments teach us how to live this way. How to live in relationship with our God. And as we'll see shortly, the, the words, they reveal the heart of God. They reveal his will for our lives. They govern the relationship between us and him and, and us and each other. In other words, they're vital for every moment of every single day. And this is why Moses is preaching them to the new generation of Israelites before they enter the land. They're at the edge of the land. They're waiting to go in. But before they do, he's reminding them that it was God who initiated the covenant between them. They did nothing. God came down and saved them and gave them these words of life. He's reminding them of how gracious God is 
And what an honour it is and a privilege it is to have these words, to have these instructions from the Creator God, the Saving God. See, these words are vital because when they enter the promised land, when they go in, they're going to be tempted by all sorts of things, like false worship of false gods like all the other nations. When they go into the land, they're going to see things that they'll want and they'll desire. But those things will only lead them away from God. When they enter the land, they'll have two choices. They can obey God's commands and choose life. Or they can, or they can choose to follow the way of the world, follow the way of the pattern of all the nations around them and choose death. See, Moses was there at Mount Sinai when God first spoke the commands. But most of this generation wasn't. Their their parents were there, but they didn't take God's word seriously. And even though God was the one who saved them, they failed to trust him as they should. And so they wandered the desert and eventually died out. Why? Because a rejection of God's word is a rejection of God himself, and it leads to death. Rejection of God's word is a rejection of God himself, and it leads to death. I was at uh, work last week, and this 80-year-old man walked up to me, and he asked me about helping him out with some work. But before I knew it, we are in this deep-seated spiritual conversation. It just come from nowhere. This man, he turns out to be a rejecter of God. He's a, he's a proud atheist. He tells me he's got his own commands. He said this. He has his own commands. God has his, but I've got mine. He's an 80-year-old man who sets his own moral standards for life. It helps him sleep at night. Now, it gives him a false sense of security that his eternal future is going to be fine. But I don't see that. Sadly, I see a man with a very bleak future. He's under God's judgment. He's currently hellbound. He's rejecting God's word. And therefore, he's rejecting God himself. And that leads to death. But in our conversation, I noticed two main things. His relationship with God is broken. And he reads the commandments as nothing more than just a moralistic checklist. That's it. It's empty. Pick some, do some, to whatever standard he he feels, and that's it. He's fine. But this brings us to the first point from the text. The commands are given to Israel, the nation that God had already redeemed for himself. So the the commands weren't for the other nations. They're for God's people. Have a look in verse verse 1. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us. 
See, the commands for God's people, the commands are for God's people. He redeems and relates and then gives the instructions. Without that relationship with God, they are nothing but a moralistic checklist. And this is why so many people see the commands as, as a cold, restrictive list of, of things you can't do. Because their relationship to God is broken. They're spiritually blind. Their heart is numb to God. You know, God's just a grumpy old man in the sky. It's that type of thinking. And how many people in this world believe that to have a pleasant afterlife, all you have to do is be a good person? That's rubbish. It's a lie. You know, whether you're Israel 3,000 years ago or any one of us here today, we're all helpless and hopeless apart from God reaching down and saving us uh, from ourselves. We won't choose God. But he'll choose us. The main point here is that we're not saved by legalistically uh, following the Ten Commandments. We're not saved by following the Ten Commandments. When people get married, they, um, they pledge their, their full faithfulness and allegiance to one another till death do they part. It's a, it's a love-filled covenant relationship. Right? And this is like God and his people. We can see God's covenant faithfulness all the way through the Bible. And it's here in our passage this morning. Have a look at verse 2 and 3 with me. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. So the previous generation failed to trust God. They were unfaithful. But God is faithful, and so his promises still stand. To this, to this next generation. And if you keep reading through your Old Testament, you'll see that everyone, every generation is unfaithful. They can't perfectly live out God's commands. No one can fulfill the law of God. No one can live up to his standards. Everybody falls short, you and me included. But God, who never changes, he remains faithful to his covenant promises. This is why Moses is retelling the commandments, because God has not and will not give up on his people. The offer of life still stands, but they must obey. They must obey. And their motivation to obey is in verse 6. God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I don't know about you, but if someone had saved me from a life of slavery, wouldn't you naturally want to do all you can for that person? Wouldn't you want to honour them for the rest of your life? You know, they set you free. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't they have won your heart and your allegiance uh, for all of your life? You would owe them. See, Israel had been saved from slavery, and they were free to worship God, to be a witness a witness to his love and a witness to his grace as they enter the land. And they do that by following these commandments, these words of life. So the commandments are meant to provide a way for people to enjoy this covenantal relationship with the holy God of the universe. 
and with each other. They're not cold restrictions from a grumpy God. They're not a checklist to earn your way to heaven. They're life-promoting words that honour God and other people when they're obeyed. So as we look at the commandments, let's just take note of how they're designed to promote life and promote vitality and pleasure within the community of God. In our Mark 12, <clears throat> excuse me. In Mark 12, um, Jesus sums up all the commandments in two. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's this. This forms the structure of the commandments themselves. The first few are uh, all about our relationship to God, and the rest are all about our relationship to one another. To put it simply, um, so let's have a look at the first few. Follow along, but I'm just going to summarise and, and bunch them up. So. <clears throat> You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image and bow down and serve them. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. These commands guard the divine rights that only belong to Yahweh, the covenant God. Yahweh has the right to exclusive allegiance. See, all the other nations are worshipping false gods. But Israel must only worship the God who saved them from slavery. And even today, false gods, they're anything that you prioritise before God. You know, think about where you spend your time, your money, your energy, and you just might find that you're worshipping a false god yourself. Also, Yahweh has the right to proper representation. To not take his name in vain means more than just using his name as a profanity. It means if you claim him as Lord and don't live that way, don't live the way you live that way, you're giving people a false uh, impression of who God is, of who God really is. You say one thing but do another. It drags God's name down. See, because obeying the commands, it's not only an act of worship, it's an act of a witness to everyone around us. You know, this, this world has so many wrong ideas about how to find true pleasure. But by following the commands, we can be sure that God approves and loves and responds and rewards those who honour him above the things of this world. Everything else pales in comparison. And so the greatest pleasure in this life will come to us from knowing and worshipping and serving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. This is a true source of joy. Let's shift to some other commands in regards to one another. Observe the Sabbath. In its context, this command guards the rights of everybody in its house. In, in the household. See, it would have been tempting for the male leader of a house back then to have his servants keep working um, throughout the week while his family takes a, uh, a nice Sabbath rest, but God makes provision for everyone to enjoy rest and remember what he's done for them. Today, churches like ours, we celebrate the Lord's, the Lord's Day, 
instead of the Sabbath, but the principle remains the same. Enjoy the pleasure of, of working six days in whatever God has called you to do and then have a day off to worship God and rest. Worship God formally. Honour your father and your mother. This guards the parents' right to respect. See, parents should be teaching their children about God. It's in the next chapter, very clear. And the children should follow their parents' teaching. Now, this should go on throughout the generations. It grows and preserves the, the community of God. See, and there's pleasure to be found by following these leaders God has given you. And it's for your good now, and it's for our good for it in eternity. If we listen to the leaders uh, and respect their mothers and fathers. You shall not murder. Discards people's right to life since all people are made in the image of God. God creates in his image. Therefore, people have a right to their life if God has created them. And pleasure is found when we have healthy attitudes and activities in our life that improve its quality and length. You shall not commit adultery. This guards the right to fidelity in marriage. Among other things, adultery defiles the marriage covenant and it breaks down communities. It's almost trendy in this day and age, but in every physical, emotional, intellectual and spiritual way, pleasure can be found with the spouse that God has given you. You shall not steal. This guards the right uh, to own property. And there's pleasure to be found in earning money to provide for your family and have enough to give generously to others. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. This guards the right to fair representation. This applies uh, both in everyday conversations and, and in, a, in legal settings. Legal settings. See, gossip and lies just breed hatred, but there's pleasure to be found in praising others and promoting the truth. You shall not covet. This guards the right to marital security and ownership of property. Coveting is about desiring things you don't have, things that don't belong to you. But you can enjoy the pleasure of being thankful and content with all that God's given you already. And this command in verse 21 also reveals that it's not just about what we do. It's about what we think and what we desire. What we desire in our hearts. Yeah, and often our desires are not set on these commands, are they? Yeah, often they're set on the things of this world. And as we chase after these empty things, we're not only breaking God's rules, we're violating a relationship with him. But that's what sin is. It's a violation of a relationship. And so because no one can f fulfill the commandments perfectly, we've all violated our relationship with God. We've all rejected God at times. See, what this law also does is highlight how holy and perfect and righteous and just and good our God is and how sinful and needy we are. 
It highlights our need for a saviour and our need for a new heart to give us new desires. Thankfully, God has provided a way for sin to be dealt with. He's provided a saviour. He's provided a new heart. All these things are found in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. See, in Christ we have forgiveness of sin because we can't fulfil the law, but he did it for us. We deserve an eternity of punishment, but he took it for us. We need a new heart to live out a new life. So just as Christ rose from the dead to new life, to life we can have new life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as Saviour and Redeemer. Romans 6 says, We know that our, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, just as Israel was saved from slavery in Egypt, we too have been saved from slavery. Slavery to sin. See, people think that that God's just a party pooper, so they reject him. And they believe the lie that they're actually free. Many think that they're autonomous, like the old fellow that I met at work, who put himself in the place of God, who set his own moral standard for life. But the Bible's quite, quite clear in places like Romans 6 that they're not free, that they're actually living in full-blown slavery to sin, totally dominated by it. And trust me, I know from experience. But those who trust Christ, they've been set free from sin. Christians have the Holy Spirit living in us. So this gives us the ability to say no to sin and yes to God. No to the ways of the world and yes to these words of life. We can live them out for our good and God's glory. See, for those of you who who have accepted Christ as Saviour, God sees you as he sees Christ, holy and righteous. All your sin, past, present, future, it's been dealt with. It's done. Jesus Christ has released you from slavery forever. Jesus has done that. So the only reasonable response is to give him our lives, is to give him our full allegiance. Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ouch, that hurts every time. In the last verse of our passage, we see that God wrote these words of life on tablets of stone. This represents their permanence. They still stand today and and remain the moral standards to live in relation to God and to one another. We must hear these words of life. We must learn these words of life. We must do these words of life in honour and worship of our Saviour Jesus Christ. So the commandments, they're not cold. The commandments, they are words of life. They're given by God, the giver of life, life himself. They're for our good. He's a loving Father who is trustworthy and faithful to the end. His promises head into eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to redeem us from slavery.
Help us today to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Amen.